going to make you think this morning. Sorry about that. What's the holiest place on earth? Think to yourselves. Don't, let's, let's not give it all out here yet. What's the holiest place on earth? Think about it. Where is that? Well, if you're a follower of Muhammad, this question would be very easy. It's Mecca. In particular, it's a place in Mecca where sometime in your life, if you have the means and the ability, you're supposed to go if you're a good Muslim. That's the holiest place on earth, at least to a Muslim. But what about us as Christians? What do we see as the holiest place on earth? A lot of people would say Jerusalem, that's it. If I ask you get in particular about where in Jerusalem, you might say where Jesus was crucified or maybe where the empty tomb is. Maybe that's the place. But is it really? What's the holiest place on earth? What makes a place holy? That's the first question you really have to ask if you want to know the holiest place on earth. What makes a place holy? The Bible is full of examples of places becoming holy. I could pick a number of them, but I'm going to pick two today. Two that are very different from each other. But two places that clearly are holy places. The first one I want us to look at comes from the story that we read of in Exodus chapter 3. If you'd like to turn your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3, towards the beginning of the Bible. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start looking at verse 2. This is the story of Moses being called by God to lead the Israelites, or what would become the Israelites, as a nation out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, need to know a little background here. Moses has checked out of life, people. That's reality. He had tried in his own way of trying to lead the people of Israel, I think, and that got busted. And he ran for his life. And he checked out. And he became a shepherd because he needed to earn a living. Needed something to do. And guess what he's doing in Exodus chapter 3? He's being a shepherd. He's leading the sheep to a place he's probably taken them before. And there as he's leading the sheep, what is an ordinary day becomes a holy day. And that's where we'll pick up the story. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within the bush. Now you need to sort of think of that as the heading of this story. The, really, the story begins, what Moses see begins with the next little part. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, the fire did not burn it up. Any of y'all seen a bush on fire before? I have. You burn debris, you've probably seen that. What's extraordinary about a fire on a bush? 
Now Moses would have maybe thought, okay, there's a fire. How'd that fire start? Been any lightning? Maybe there's somebody around here. That would have been his first thought until he looked again and he noticed the flames were still there and the bush wasn't burning. That's different. And so it caused him to go. And this is, as we read the story, this is what Moses said. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I think you would do that too. I know I would. This is weird. I want to see weird. We like seeing weird. So Moses does that and says, that's when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called from him within the bush, Moses, Moses. All right, what would you have done there? Skedaddle. I think Moses would have skedaddled, but he was too nervous. You know, you get in that flight or, or flight syndrome, but sometimes it's too bad to even fly, and you're stuck. Moses, Moses. Moses gains his composure enough to say, I think, here am I. And then God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. So what makes that ground holy? What makes that place holy? God tells you. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What made that place holy? God was there. That's the first thing. The first thing for a place to be holy is God has to be there. Now, where does that limit where places can be holy on earth then? No, I think this example pretty well tells you a burning bush can be holy. So God is not limited in terms of where he makes a place holy. What makes it holy is he's present. That's the first thing that has to happen. Notice what it also says, though, in this passage. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. In other words, when Moses went to look, God could reveal himself to Moses. Moses recognizes God's presence when he says, Moses, Moses. Two things that make a place holy. God's presence and our recognition of it. Second story is a lot different than this first story. Second story happens after a nation of Israel has become a power, a nation. David has conquered much territory. And his son Solomon now is the owner, the possessor of that territory as king. And Solomon spends seven years building a temple for God to have a permanent place where he and his people meet. Seven years. It took to build this temple. Actually, it took a lot longer than that. Because if you know the story, David actually asked if he could build God a temple. But God said, no, it's going to be for your son to do. But you know what David started doing? 
they started gathering supplies, the resources, so that when his son came on the throne, he'd be able to go, get to it. So this had been a long process of giving God a permanent place, not a tabernacle of curtains that was used in the desert to move things around, but a permanent place for God to meet with his people. Solomon spent seven years building it. On the day that we read Solomon's prayer to God, he has thousands of animals sacrificed to say, God, we're serious about this. We need your presence in our lives. We're asking, we're pleading for you to come. And then Solomon prays this prayer. We're going to sort of get into the middle of this prayer that that he prays for God to be here at that place, to make it holy. We read of the account in 1 Kings chapter 8. If you go in your Bible, you turn once halfway through, you're about Psalms, somewhere around there. You go to the front part of that and split it again, you're going to end up in 1 Kings or somewhere pretty close to it. But 1 Kings, we're going to start looking at chapter 8, verse 27. And this is Solomon's prayer, the king's prayer, as he's built this temple, he's done all these things, and then he says in this prayer, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Wait a second, Solomon. You just spent seven years building a temple, and now you're saying, but God, are you really going to come? I'd want to know that beforehand. And in actuality, God has given him the guarantee that he will be there. He gave it to to David, his father, And he's even along the way given that assurance to Solomon. But Solomon, you remember, is one of the wisest people that's ever lived on this earth. And so he makes a very wise statement as he comes to God. God, who am I to build anything for you? You could be anywhere in this world. And who am I to ask for you to be here? Solomon understands We don't make a place holy. God makes a place holy. And we can do elaborate things, but we have to ask in the right way for God to show up. And that's what Solomon's doing. Solomon realizes, God, this place is not special unless you make it special. He recognizes God's presence, and he asks for God's presence to be in this place. And this is the way he continues on saying, Yet give your attention to your servant's prayer and to his plea of mercy, O Lord my God. Hear my cry and my prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. Solomon saying, God, I don't deserve you, but I know you. And I know you desire a relationship with us. And I'm pleading for your mercy to be shown here in this place. For us to have a place that is holy. Where we recognize your presence. Folks, why are you here today? Because in some form or fashion, you recognize this place is holy. As a place where God is present. 
and where you come with other believers recognizing God is present. Is this place any more special than 200 feet down the road? No. What makes it special? One, God's present, but he's also present 200 feet down the road. But part of what God, what makes a place holy is our prayer for God to be present and our recognition of God being present. And so when we gather ideally on a Sunday morning, we're asking for God to be present, to recognize his presence. Does that happen every Sunday morning for you? It sure doesn't for me. A lot of times I do this thing as a ritual. That's something I'm supposed to do. Does that mean God isn't present? No. Does that mean God can't intervene and wake me up? Sometimes he does. But sometimes I just do it as a ritual. What makes a place present, a place holy is God's presence and our recognition of that presence. Is that why you're here today? Is that why I'm here today? On good Sunday mornings, I think about that. This day that we're looking at here is the dedication of the temple. It was a special day. He was asking for God's presence to be there. May your eyes be open to the temple day and night, he says. This place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer of your servant praise toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon is asking for God's presence. I hope you do that. It's important to ask for God's presence in your life. Because God wants to be present. But he wants us to recognize that presence. And to ask for it. It's interesting. God actually answers Solomon's prayer. And we get that in the Bible too. And it's important. Look at 1 Kings chapter 9. Just go over a little bit. Chapter 9 verses 3 and 4. This is God speaking back to Solomon after Solomon does his prayer. He says, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me, and I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. God's saying, I'm going to show up. I will be there. This will be where you and I and the people of Israel have a relationship that is established and upheld. That's a good thing. Anybody here when this particular building was dedicated? Was anybody here then? Okay, got a couple. Guarantee you that day they just didn't have a normal service. Guarantee you on that day, guess what they asked for? God to be present. The dedication service is what it's called. And their prayer was not only for them, but it was also for us. For us to recognize God's presence as we come here to worship together. 
God's presence is a powerful thing, but is a thing that you can lose very quickly, and that's also in God's response to Solomon. Let's go a little bit further. In, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9 in 1 Kings, it says, But if you or one of your sons turn away from me, this is God speaking, and do not observe the commands and decrees I've given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Just because a place is holy in a moment doesn't mean it stays that way. Because God's presence is everywhere. But we've got to keep in the right spirit of asking for that presence to be revealed to us and looking for it and seeking it out. And God's saying, when that day happens that you don't do that, I'm no longer there. I'm not meeting with you. Folks, there are a lot of churches that are meeting this morning where God isn't present. I'm just going to be flat honest with you. They're singing the exact same songs we did. Sermon. But people long ago checked out sort of like Moses did. And he's not there. That's a warning for all of us. Both as a church, but also as individuals. Don't check out on God. Recognize, look for his presence. That's what God's saying, remember me. So let's go back to the question. Where is the holiest place on earth? It's anywhere. Any one of y'all, can you tell me where the burning bush was? Anybody? Got a clue? Nobody does. It was holy at that moment. But now today, you could walk by that very location and it would just look like the same old place 15 yards before. And you would have no idea. The temple that Solomon built, is it still there? In ruins, partly, but it's ruined. They even built another temple after that temple, a couple of different temples. None of them are still there. Aren't you glad that God doesn't tie to a place? Because if he was, we'd be hurting. But that's the neat thing about God. God says any place can be holy. What's your holiest place? place where you know God visited you, that you were present in, with him. You've got a couple probably. I do. I can tell you one holy place for me is my bedroom, and I can still picture it. My senior year in high school, that ugly green shag carpet. And I can picture me reading a book, Now That I Believe, by Robert Cook, I believe was his name. And God just stopping me and saying, you're playing a game with me. Stop it. Don't pretend that you really love me when you're really playing both sides of the road. When you're doing what the world wants you to do and you pretend that you love me, stop it. 
And I remember then, beyond any doubt, that's when I became a Christian. Another holy place for me is in Salisbury, North Carolina, in a cemetery. I was riding my bike. I was unhappy in my job. I was a banker, not saying that bankers have bad jobs, but it, for me, it was a bad job. And I was asked, God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? And I'm riding my bike around and sort of thinking those things when it just hit me. Stop. And I happened to be in a cemetery. I got off my bike and God and I had a conversation. And that's why I'm here today. Everybody has those moments as a believer, you should, that are special, that are holy. I can tell you times when I gathered with fellow believers and it was holy. There are those moments and places. What makes a place holy? It's not the place. It's us recognizing God's presence and seeking him. Sometimes places are where you expect, like a church, and most of the time, I don't think they are. It can be a place where people are killed. Do you ever think that the place where they were crucifying people would be called a holy place? But it was. Things happen that make a place holy. Did you know your workplace can be holy? Any place you find yourself can be holy. I'm going to give you an example. Those of you who know me, I'm a, I'm a Tar Heel. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel. Your season's going on now, this thing called football, but my season's going to begin in about a month. It's called basketball, the real sport. And those of you who know anything about UNC basketball, there is a place that is special at least to those of my generation. And it's not the Dean Smith Center. It's Carmichael Auditorium. That's where North Carolina used to play before they built a big arena to have more people and more money. But Carmichael Auditorium is actually a lot like Little John, very similar, where Clemson plays basketball. But Carmichael Auditorium was alive in a place that UNC played basketball for 60 years. Um, excuse me, 20 years. And you can go on the internet and you can find out the most special times that happened at Carmichael Auditorium. I'm going to give you two because I can. I'm here and I can talk UNC basketball. First was in 1983 when North Carolina played Virginia Cavaliers, and Goliath. Now, who was Goliath? His name was Ralph Sampson. He was the first person over seven feet tall that could actually dribble a ball and shoot from the outside. There are a dime a dozen now, but back then, nobody else could do that. And he was it. In fact, he won player of the year that year nationally because he was that good. And nobody could really stop him. 
So we were playing the third-ranked Virginia Cavaliers, and we were behind by 16 points with 9 minutes and 45 seconds left. Back door, he takes a shot, makes it. It's down to 14. They call timeout. And Dean Smith says, Dean Smith, the coach, says, you know, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be fun if we came back and won this thing? And that's what they proceeded to do. They cut it to one point with a little under one minute left to go. When Rick Carlisle dribbles the ball up in the backcourt and doesn't see Michael Jordan come around behind him and steal the ball, and Michael Jordan with one of his regular slam ducks, boom, North Carolina takes the lead. Place goes wild. But there's still 50 seconds left, and Goliath is on the other end. Virginia goes down. They dribble the ball around. Somebody takes a shot. It's missed, and the rebound is there for somebody to put back. And guess who are the two people that have a chance for the rebound? Goliath, Ralph Sampson, and Michael Jordan. 7-1 versus, at that time, he was probably 6-5. Guess who got the rebound? Michael Jordan. Or his reputation being what it is today. Well, that was one big game, but the biggest game, anybody who's a Carolina fan will tell you that happened in Carmichael Auditorium was in 1974 when we were playing Duke. And we were behind eight points with 17 seconds left, and there was no three-point shot. Bobby Jones hits a couple of free throws. North Carolina steals the ball twice when Duke tries to inbound it, cut it to two. Duke then inbounds it. Guy catches it for Duke. He gets fouled. There's three seconds on the clock. Guess what? He misses his three throw. We call timeout. There's three seconds. We've got to take it out from their end and score. No three-pointer. So we can tie the game, but that's the best we can do. Guy throws a long pass to half court. Walter Davis takes the shot. It's a bank shot from 35 feet, folks. It goes in. Ties the game. We end up winning it. That is the number one moment in Carmichael Auditorium from the world's point of view. But I'll tell them they're wrong because I saw the number one moment in Carmichael Auditorium. And it also happened in 1982 in September that year. You see, that year, Billy Graham came and spoke five nights as a lecture series to 31,000 students during that period of five nights. The world looks at Duke getting beat in 1974. That place became holy in September of 1982. Who cares about a little piddly basketball game? Folks, you can make anywhere holy. You ever thought about when you go to a Clemson football game, you can make that place holy? that the conversation you have with the person next to you, God could care a whole lot more about than the, what's going on in the field. You ever think about that? God does. He just wants us to recognize his presence and ask for it. And he can make that place holy too. What do you do with holy places? How do you make them happen you ask for God's presence. You recognize it. And you look 
for what God wants you to do in that moment. Each one of us have the opportunity to have holy places in our lives. I'm guilty of it, and I think you are too, of just pulling a Moses and just living life without really looking for it. But the reality is right there. It's that conversation we can have with someone who's hurting. It's that conversation you can have on somebody's front porch and lead them to Christ. That moment, that becomes the holiest place in your life. But you've got to look for it. You've got to ask for it. And you've got to recognize God being there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to make any place holy. Forgive us for the times that we just live our lives and we don't even think about how you want to work in our lives, how you want to turn a place holy. God, as we live our lives, may we live in a way that we're expecting you, that we're looking for your presence, how we can can make this moment, this time, a holy place. Father, thank you for giving us that opportunity to do that wherever we are, whatever our circumstances. Father, thank you for your presence. May we respond to it in a way that honors you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.